0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our First Baptist Church podcast as we continue to walk through Scripture. I'm really delighted to be with you again. Uh, I've heard good things about uh, our lessons thus far, and really the goal is to look at the grand narrative of Scripture, which I believe is redemption. God is holy, just, sovereign, and we have fallen so short, and by His grace and mercy, He has redeemed a people for Himself, and God is still saving people. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I don't know where you are in life today, I know that God is able, He's able to teach us about who He is and who we are, and it's so exciting to read from not just Matthew to Revelation, I believe it's exciting to read from Genesis to Revelation. And so if you remember last week, we talked at length about um, Noah and how Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We also did a, a recent podcast with Dr. Bob Hammer, and he did a wonderful job just outlining uh, the flood account and how God's justice and judgment rained down literally on mankind, and uh, but but there's grace there in Genesis seven because Noah and his family were spared from that flood, and that is that is so important to reflect on as we move past Genesis seven and as we think about Genesis eight nine. 10 and 11, the Tower of Babel. And so Jeff Higgins, one of our teachers here at First Baptist, he's going to help um, teach from this section of Scripture, and you're you're going to be in for a treat. Jeff, I hope you're doing well today. Doing very well, thank you. We're glad to have you, and um, Jeff is a great supporter and friend of mine. He he models uh, in the church what I'm trying to do as a whole, and that is to reach people with the gospel, to make disciples. And to serve on the mission field. And uh, his class is embodying all of those keys. And I really appreciate that. So today I want to pray for us. And then, hey, if you're driving down the road, if you're with your family in the living room, if you're just checking this uh, podcast out at a certain place, uh, let's just pray God teaches us right now. Father, I pray for uh, every listener today. I pray for families that are struggling. I pray for those who are seeking fulfillment in life. Lord, I, I pray for those who are struggling with problems today. And God, I just pray for everyone as, as we listen to Genesis 11 that you would help us understand um, God's grace and mercy. And Father, we want to understand your grace and mercy. Help us understand, Lord, that our efforts will always fall short and that even after the flood there was sin. God, when when you brought judgment, uh, it was obvious even after that that people still sinned and uh, fell short. So, well, Lord, we thank you for your gospel truth even in these chapters today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Jeff, help us understand after Brother Hemmer's discussion on the flood, maybe what occurred after that and and just dive into chapter 11. All right. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. Romans
1: three twenty three through 24 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8 says, In Him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavishes on us. A book titled The Cure uniquely illustrates the grace of God. In it, the authors write, Grace changes everything. Grace changes how we read the Bible and trust its truths. Grace changes how we see the true face of Jesus and our desire to follow Him. Grace changes how we lead people to Jesus and influence society. Most importantly, grace changes how we see God, ourselves and others. Grace changes everything. Amen. God's amazing grace, his unmerited favor towards us and his redemption is woven throughout the entirety of scripture. Psalms 115:3 says, "But our God is in the heavens; he does whatever he pleases." That's God's sovereignty. Verse 16 of Psalm 115 tells us, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. That's man's free will. A. W. Tozer wrote the following in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise a moral choice, and man from the beginning has fulfilled that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not which choice the man should make, but that he should be free to make it. If, in his absolute freedom, God has willed to give man limited freedom, Who is there to stay his hand or say, What doest thou? Man's will is free, because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures, for he would be afraid to do so. God sovereignly created and placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He told them to eat freely from any tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve disobeyed. But do you remember how God responded? Graciously and justly, like we would expect from a holy God. He graciously called to them, Where are you? Have you eaten from the tree? He promised a Redeemer in Genesis 3.15 and then clothed them. The consequences of their sin took effect, and they were cast out of the garden. God sovereignly instituted the offering of the firstlings of a flock, a picture of the Messiah who would be sacrificed in our place and then through grace provide redemption to all who believe. Abel brought the correct offering and it was accepted by the Lord. Cain did not. Cain became angry. And do you remember how God responded? Graciously and justly, like we would expect From a holy God. He graciously said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain's response to God was to murder Abel. Cain suffered the consequences of his sin. Yet God still showed mercy and grace by placing a mark on him so no one would kill him. God sovereignly and graciously gave Adam a son named Seth. Thus began the godly lineage through which Enoch and Noah were born. Time passed. Genesis 6 5 tells us, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you remember how God responded? Justly, like we would expect from a sovereign, holy God. Because Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, he and his family were saved from the flood. The rest of the people received the just consequences of their sin, as recorded in Genesis 7. Once the flood water subsided in Genesis 8, all of the animals, along with Noah and his family, left the ark. Then, Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Genesis 8, 20-22 God sovereignly commanded Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in Genesis 9-1. He repeated the command in verse 7. Once again, we see the grace of our holy God. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast on the earth. I will establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Every time we see a rainbow, we are reminded of the wonderful grace of a sovereign, holy God. Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. One day Noah became drunk, went into his tent, and uncovered himself. Ham, the youngest son and father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers, Shem and Japheth. Ham's attitude of exposing his father's sin instead of helping him not only dishonored his father, but also the Lord. The two older brothers went into the tent and covered their father without looking on their father's naked body. When Noah awoke and found out what happened, he cursed Canaan by stating that he and his lineage would be servants to his two brothers. Shem and Japheth he blessed. It's interesting to note that from Ham's line came Egypt, Nineveh, Babylon, Assyria, the Canaanites, which included the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Philistines. From Shem's line comes someone who will be the father of God's blessing to all nations Abraham. As Ham's family grew, he became the grandfather of Nimrod. Genesis 10, 8, and 9 describe Nimrod as a mighty one on earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. We are told that the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and he went into Assyria and built the city of Nineveh. Some have written that Cush, the oldest son of Ham, felt threatened by Noah's curse of servitude. So he sought to establish his own kingdom through his son Nimrod, whose name means, let us rebel. It is believed that Cush raised Nimrod in a spirit of rebellion against God and his plan for mankind. And although this is just conjecture, the Bible records in Genesis 11 the overt pride and outright rebellion of the people of Babel. Let's observe the unity of people. First of all, in Genesis 11 1, the Bible says that they spoke the same language. In verse 2, it says that they found a spacious area so they could live together. It was called the Plain of Shinar. It was fruitful and could sustain all of them. Thirdly, in verse 4, they bound themselves together by building a large city and tower as if to fortify themselves defensively. Fourthly, they encouraged and excited each other to work hard to accomplish their goal. There were no rocks to build, so they made kiln-fired bricks and used tar for the cement to bind them together. It was said that once joined, the bricks were strong and could not be separated, and you'll find that in verse 3 of Genesis 11. Although Nimrod is not mentioned in Genesis chapter 11, it is believed that he had great influence over the people, which resulted in their rebellious unity of purpose. Let me remind you of the command given to Noah from our sovereign God from Genesis nine seven. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Genesis eleven four states the response of the people. They said, "Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach unto heaven." And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. First of all, we see that the city and the tower were constructed to glorify man, not God. Pride lifts man up above others and above God. Secondly, the defensive city that they were building meant they were relying on their own strength for, for defense and not on God's. Thirdly, They were not interested in spreading the wonderful reputation of their God, but wanted their great deeds, their fame, to be known worldwide. The tower was built as a guide for them to be able to find their way back to the city so they would not be scattered. Their motivation, their unity of purpose, was outright rebellion against God. Instead of following God and exploring the fullness of His creation, They set themselves up as God and miss the blessings, the grace that God intended to provide for them. A people that turn from God will always turn to other gods and establish their own truth. Bruce Waltke, in his commentary on Genesis, concludes his analysis of Genesis 11 in these words, Society apart from God is totally unstable. On the one hand, People earnestly seek existential meaning and security in their collective unity. On the other hand, they have an insatiable appetite to consume what others possess. At the heart of the city of man is love for self and hatred for God. The city reveals that the human spirit will not stop at anything short of usurping God's throne in heaven. But do you remember how God responded mercifully and justly like we would expect from a sovereign holy God. Sometimes a sovereign God will not give us our way because his mercy toward us is great. Genesis eleven six through 9 state, The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language, and this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, Let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad and there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. When we trust, obey, love and serve the Lord We are in a right relationship with God, where he can fully bless, love, and extend his grace to us as he intended from the beginning of time. There is no better place to be. Psalm 91, 1 and 2 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We have seen time after time this morning the consequences of rejecting the shelter that the Most High provides for us. You can enter the shelter that the Lord provides by accepting through faith the free gift of salvation that God has graciously provided to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tell the Lord this morning that you have fallen short of his righteousness and that you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins. Ask Him to forgive you and save you this morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace changes everything.